You're listening to the You're Such a Catch podcast with your host, Aaron, (laughs) whose journey in dating and relationships is on full display for your empowerment, education, and honestly, your entertainment too. Hey guys, I'm Erin. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to the YSC community. Here's what you need to know. YSC is a community for successful women to feel confident and empowered regardless of their relationship status. How do we do that? (laughs) Easy. Each week we discuss dating and relationships, not necessarily just romantic relationships, but all relationships. And a lot of it is just about our relationship with self. We encourage and empower one another and we learn, evolve, and grow. And although I'm not singling out my ladies here, no pun intended, (laughs) this is a safe place for men as well. It's an inclusive community. If you're on a mission to be the best version of you, you're in the right place. Today, I'm talking with Courtney Anderson. She's the creator of Sober Vibes, which is a place for those who are sober or sober curious to support one another. Courtney is going to share her story with us today, why she chose the path of sobriety, the challenges and the work required uh, to make that lifestyle change. And she's also going to chime in with some tips if you're dating sober or if you swipe right on somebody who's sober. Self-awareness is key. But before we get to it, I want to give a huge shout out to Colleen, who recently joined YSC Unfiltered. YSC Unfiltered is my members-only platform that helps make this podcast possible. Colleen is a boss babe by nature. She's a sales extraordinaire, a fitness buff, and an avid poker player. For years, we chased each other on the sales dashboard at work. She's a hell of a competitor. (laughs) She's also an advocate for women supporting women, and I cannot thank her enough for supporting me in this post-automotive chapter. Colleen, thank you so much. I appreciate you more than you know. If you're a fan of this podcast, you can also support me by hitting that subscribe button, sharing an episode that resonated with you with a friend, or leaving a rate or review on your favorite podcast player. If you have some extra coin to spare, making a pledge like Colleen did to become a member of YSC Unfiltered is where it's at. Depending on which level you choose, you'll have access to a private RSS feed where you'll hear bonus episodes, see videos of me talking about my weave, Phyllis. (laughs) and get an insider's perspective into my heart and my thoughts as I share diary style blog posts. While you're at it, make sure you're following me at You're Such a Catch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oh, and on the TikTok. I received my first negative comment on a video this week. (laughs) Ain't nobody got time for that. Guess that person didn't know it took me hours to master how to make the damn thing. (laughs) Bye, Felicia, and take that negativity with you, okay? This episode is dedicated to those who've made positive changes in their lives to overcome alcohol and addiction. I see you. Okay, so tell me everything. Dive in. Tell me about your journey. Tell me about this aha moment that changed your life. My life really started on August 18th of 2012, and that is the day I quit drinking. Uh-huh. At that time, I was 29. I was just six weeks shy of, of turning 30. For 10 years, I had been on this cycle with alcohol. The mm-hmm. best way I can describe it to people, it was a toxic love affair because that's what how the relationship evolved to be in. 
it was an addiction. But when you explain addiction to people, some people don't get it. So I have really found that mm-hmm. like a toxic relationship is the best way I can describe of how that relationship was with alcohol. At 19, it started off very innocent, just like going out mm-hmm. with your friends. I live in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. So the okay. Canada of course, is right across, right across the river. In Canada, you can start drinking there. The legal age is 19. So we used to go over there oh. uh, to Windsor at 19 and just party in the bars. Uh-huh. Like loved it. I fell in love instantly of that nightlife. Getting drunk, it was almost like I was a shy kid growing up. And it was just freedom to me. That's how I felt. Uh-huh. I felt like I could be more of myself, even though that's a lie. But I was just like being able to get out <laughs> of my shell. And it gave me a lot more confidence when talking to men and, and, and all of that. So from 19 to 24, it was, of course, just feeling like I was doing what I should be doing. But it grew darker. And when I said what should be doing of this was what all of my friends were doing at the time. You go through college, that that time period. Sure, yeah. Life. But around 24, it really started to get darker. And I knew around then mm-hmm. that I had a problem with alcohol because of the way I was drinking. I had no off switch. Mm-hmm would yell at my friends. I would black out a lot. I would get into fights. And like, did you remember when you would do this? Or is this something like the next morning, you'd kind of wake up and friend would be like, Courtney, whoa, what happened last night? Walk me through some of that. Because I think too, one thing that's interesting for me is like, you recognize you had a problem. A lot of people don't. And sometimes even like, I'll question like, whoa, like you need to pump the brakes a little bit because nobody needs to be taking that many shots or you You know what I mean? Like sometimes you get caught up in the moment. So if you could walk me through some of that, because I think it's great that you recognized on your own that maybe this was going down a dark path. Yeah. Well, yes. I would answer your question. Definitely would wake up and being like, okay, I don't remember part of last night. Like I remember Mm -hmm. up into a certain point and I was the queen of taking shots. And my friends, of course, would be like, you did that. But that also then, too, I would get into that shame cycle of like, oh, my God, I did this and not want to have to face the reality of what drinking brought. Because I'm like, God, what else did I do? And again, yeah, starting to recognize during that part of when I had a problem. I mean, I would wake up. I woke up in a hospital a couple of times. I woke up in, oh, wow. in jail being like, how did I get here the relationship with men of where where I would wake up in their bed and being like, I don't even know this man's name. Like, if I were to do a list uh-huh. of men I've slept with, I could tell you what bar I met them at, but I don't know their name. Uh-huh. That's where my drinking wow, was leading yeah. to. And at that time, were you the type of person under the influence where like, even if your friends were trying to advise you or say like, Corny, don't, don't leave with him or Corny, like drink some water or whatever. Were you just kind of like, no, I'm doing my own thing. Or you couldn't tell, you could not, you could not (laughs) tell me like my friends were trying to look out for me, but there was no holding me back of me doing what I was going to do. Especially too, at that point, it. it was just like after the blackout, and the blackout started, it's in people who don't understand what a functioning blackout is, it's like the, mm-hmm. the physically everything looks fine, but like the lights are off inside. So, because some Got people it. don't know what it's like to blackout. They don't. Mm-hmm. Because, and that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Yeah. 
That was a very good thing. (laughs) And for a long time, I mean, I blacked out on a weekly basis. Wow. And Mm -hmm. I have to go back to what you said. I do believe that people with like a true, true, true drinking problem Mm -hmm. know deep down inside that they have an issue. It's whether or not you want to you want to like get woke to it and face it. So got it. Yeah. So like twenty four, twenty five. That's when I had to start questioning it, and I'm like, there's going to be one day that I get sober. Now from twenty five to twenty nine or twenty five to twenty nine, I did try for those years to control it, and it was just to the point uh-huh. where it was just uncontrollable. And when I say control it, I mean like I said, no shots. No, no okay. more Grey Goose martinis. No more, mm-hmm. I'm only going to drink beer. I'm only going to drink one mm-hmm. night a week. I'm going to go 30 days without drinking. And I did those things, but I always led back to the problematic drinking and what would fall out 90% of the time when I drank. Got mm-hmm. it. Wow. Mm-hmm. So... I'm just interested, like, were you only a social drinker or were you the type of person who was like having a glass of wine or a drink or a cocktail every night to like relax and unwind? Because it sounds to me like the majority of where you would kind of fuel that was all in a social setting. Yeah, I was definitely a big, huge social person. I mean, I still am, but my drinking was social to a T. And then how it tapered out to it's it. My, it was binge drinking, but just because you don't drink every day doesn't mean that you're not an alcoholic. There, there's a huge spectrum there of people's mm-hmm. drinking and, and what it's like, because I know a lot of people who drink every day and they don't claim to have a problem. You know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah. what is right there? And then that's sometimes too, mm-hmm. when you get into functioning alcoholics, that's where it's like, I, to me, that's like deadly territory. And I was a functioning alcoholic. Because no matter what, right. I was still able to go and complete my job, and I was still able to mm-hmm. maintain relationships. I just binge drink. Okay, yeah. So you were still fulfilling all your responsibilities. Yes. And were your family and friends, like, expressing concern to you, or was was that just kind of, like, synonymous with, <laughs> with the time? People would say stuff, and then you'd you kind of, like, blow them off, or you'd be like, oh, I'm working on it. A little bit of both. I had friends who stopped talking to me for a little bit. I had family members who who did say, you know, you need to get it together. But also, too, they, they were drinkers. So it's like my whole thing was I'm not hurting anybody, which, again, is a crack of shit because you are. You're hurting yourself. And then and you hurting yourself mm-hmm. does hurt people around you. But, yeah, I had all of that. But I also had a lot of people who enabled me because they loved me going out with them and partying. But then at right. midnight... Uh-huh. When that hit, nobody wanted to deal with me. Like I was like a gremlin. Like after midnight, it was it was not pretty of what it <laughs> right, turned yeah. into. So and I don't blame mm-hmm. people for I, I don't blame people for distancing themselves from me and mm-hmm. all of that because I wouldn't want to be around it present day. Yeah. And did you have any history in your family of like alcoholism and that type of thing? Yep. Yep. Alcoholism runs up both sides of my family. Mental illness runs both sides of my family. And that's the thing. Really, I I am a firm believer that alcoholism is 50% genetics and 50% learned behavior. Mm. But I also think when it comes to this conversation of just addiction in general, I don't think that there's one particular gateway drug. Like, I don't think that marijuana is the gateway to all of this other stuff. I really do believe that trauma 
is the gateway of of everything. And everybody experiences trauma on different levels. Oh, yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. That resonates with me. And it's funny when you said (laughs) marijuana is the gateway drug. Like, it brings me back to childhood growing up and, like, the D.A.R.E. program and, like, learning about that. And obviously, I live in California, and marijuana is now legal here. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It's an interesting time that we're in just with the evolution of, of that as well. But now having access to that, if you do have an addiction or a problem and you're mixing that with alcohol or with other recreational drugs, I mean, it can be a scary mm-hmm. concoction altogether. Right. So, so on this day, you said August 18th, mm-hmm. was yeah, it? August 18th of 2012. Yeah. So what happened? What happened was, so the night before it was my last night working in the restaurant industry, I was transitioning full okay. time into the medical field. And so it was my last shift bartending. And my then boyfriend, mm. we were living together. He was like, please don't go in and start. We were together at that point for like a year and a half. And he's like, please don't start taking shots when you get there. And I was like, of course I won't. And then being a little Mm -hmm. piglet that I was, (laughs) I went straight in there and started (laughs) ripping shots. And the next morning I woke up, my best friend told me that my cat was lost and that Matt was extremely upset with me. She was like, you pissed him off last night. So I was like, no, Fiona's Mm. like inside. That's my cat's name. I was like, Fiona's inside. It's no problem. It's no problem. So I get up a couple hours later because that was one of the worst hangovers in my life. Of course, I blacked out that night. I get Mm -hmm. up a couple hours later and my my boyfriend, he tells me, he was like, the cat is lost. You threatened to kill me last night as you stood over our bed. (gasps) And you Uh can continue drinking if that's your choice, but I'm not going to be on this ride. Because, of course, in that year and a half, I had other drinking episodes that led him to the point of this. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame any boyfriend or girlfriend partner in life, husband, wife, for you to be upset that your your significant other threatened to kill you in a state of their blackout. Like, come on. Yeah, but you had no recollection, no. right? Like, I mean, it- no. And that was not the first time I did that to that man. But that man now is my husband. So it worked out. So no way. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, whoa, that's crazy. I Well, I love him for supporting you and being on this whole journey and just, wow, that's amazing. Yes. So, so this was the second time I lost my cat and this cat we had, had rescued from the streets. So it just got to a point that morning and people think too, like the whole, like giving somebody an ultimatum and, and stuff like that, it doesn't work. But I have to say for, for people like me, it needed to happen because nobody else was stepping up in my life being like, something's got to give. And I really cared about Matt, clearly. So, and my cat. And I just made a pact with the universe. And I said, if mm-hmm. I find this cat, I'm going to give up drinking. And I found her three days later because she's not an outdoor cat. Found her three days later. It honestly was, I mean, that was when people talk about when they quit, they have like almost like a spiritual awakening of some sort. Me being outside Mm -hmm. with this cat and her running up to me, it's like everything around me got so slow and it was crazy. So I had my, I had my little moment with her out there and I haven't touched alcohol since August 18th of 2012. Well, 17th, I just count the 18th, my, my day, because that's my day one. Your day. So... 
Wow. And did you start the process like on your own or did you immediately like go to AA or walk me through like what comes next when you decide, okay, here I am, I'm giving this up. What do I do to set myself up for success? So I did AA early on for a couple meetings, but it really just, I was just not, I did not connect with it at that time. Mm -hmm. So I really white knuckled it for two years. And then within that time, I started more on personal development. I started, I went back to, I've been in and out of therapy majority of my life. So like therapy's always been a front of mine. Same. Like (laughs) even before I quit drinking, I had this therapist and I stopped Mm -hmm. seeing her because I got pissed. But she was like, if you quit drinking, like this whole, like that's your one problem. And I was like, no, it's not. (laughs) But I knew she was right. Right, Yeah. She's like, that's the root cause of everything. everything And you're like, Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> but you have to be ready. I mean, it's so true. You have, like with anything in life. It. I mean, sobriety. Like whether you want to get healthy and lose weight, whether you want to heal from past traumas or yes. a broken heart, whatever it is, you have to come to terms with. Like now's the time. I'm ready. I will put in the work. Like let's yes. go. It's totally an inward. Thing. It really is. So. I revisited that. I mean, in my recovery, now I'm eight and a half years sober. In my recovery, I did not, rehab was never an option for me. Mm-hmm. But in my, this journey, I have taken, again, to the therapy. I have hired coaches. I did go back to AA on, I always forget if it was my third or fourth year, but I went back to AA and I, I participated in the program for a summer because I do believe that you should give anything a shot before you knock it. Like you got to put yourself in there. And, sure. and my motto is take what you want and leave the rest for anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's kind of how my own recovery has looked like. It's different for everybody, but it is one of those things. that's like you have to connect, especially that first year because it's so hard. You have to really connect with something that works for you. Because not everybody's Mm going to connect in 12 steps. Not everybody has the means for rehab. Not everyone jives with therapy. So So that's kind of how my my recovery looked like. So you've made this decision. You're finding your way to figure out, you know, how to stay on this path of success and cutting alcohol out of your life. Did that include like going through the house and like throwing any booze that you had away? Or what was that like? Because I have to imagine also like, even though your friends and family, like as you're probably sharing, like I've made this decision, this choice. I mean, maybe some were skeptical Mm -hmm. or maybe some were like, oh, here she goes again. She's going to do another 30 days and then get back on, you know, the wagon or whatever, but there's a lot of, I don't know if you want to call them triggers or, or whatnot that could sway you. So, so what did you do in that regard? I think I gave away all the booze and beer within like 60 days because I, I am lucky enough where, where Matthew gave up alcohol to. Matt was in the part of him. Oh, at the same time yeah, as you? he gave it up to help me. So I'm okay. very, very fortunate in that situation. Matt doesn't, didn't have a problem. But Matt himself, too, grew up around alcoholism, and he's a very creative type. So, like, it came to the point where with him where he would have two beers, and he's like, I like, he felt like garbage the next day. He's just like, I'm just, I could do without it. So, Mm -hmm. so within 60 days, I gave up all, I I gave it to friends and family, the alcohol in my house. But there were Mm -hmm. a lot of triggering situations that I put myself through because I wasn't yet there. Because I was still people pleasing. <laughs> That's 
That's what sure. Like, yeah. I, I think we've all been there. I am definitely guilty yes. of being a people pleaser and I have worked on it for years. And I would tell you today, like, even though I'm trying that like that still kind of like shows up in my life sometimes. Oh, yeah. And then plus to how you're wired. I mean, when you're, when you're in a, your dynamic of family that there's no boundaries there, even that you have to, you have to redirect, like you have to start creating boundaries for yourself. And so those first mm-hmm. two years, I definitely broke my own boundaries until enough where I was like, I'm not going to continue to sit somewhere where I'm like physically uncomfortable and having anxiety uh-huh. because I don't want to be around this dynamic anymore because I'm not in that mm-hmm. headspace anymore, nor do I identify with that. Yeah. So did that mean like you elected not to participate in social gatherings and stuff like that? Or were you just more like, I'm going to show up, I'm going to participate, but I'm going to allow myself to leave at a certain time before it hits a certain level? I will say both. I'm a firm believer of protecting your energy. So I had to, after <laughs> yes. I got over like my people pleasing BS, I had, I'm like, in mm-hmm. I had to start protecting my energy. But again, I'm able to put myself in social situations. There are a lot of people who quit drinking who cannot even be around alcohol, period. But that wasn't, I, you have to get uncomfortable in this day and age You have, because alcohol mm-hmm. is everywhere. Alcohol is everywhere. Yeah, I mean, when they true. start putting it in movies, it, it's like, that's how places make money, unfortunately. So I didn't want to get sober just to sit at home, to be honest. So I, I'm able right. to put myself in, in situations early on and I tell this to my clients too. Give yourself the 60-minute rule. Show up for an hour. You're there. Be the first one there. And you can leave after 60 minutes. It's not being rude. You just got to go. And, and a lot of people yeah. think too, like people get mad that you're, you're leaving and they don't care. Right. Well, they're probably on their own level as they're ripping shots and doing whatever they're doing. (laughs) They probably don't even notice. Now, would you like, would you advise? I just don't know this, but I'm curious. So I've tried to do like a sober month Mm -hmm. or whatnot just to give my body a break or whatever. And I will say like, I'm cognizant enough of my own mental health to know like during the pandemic, in the beginning, when we didn't really know what was happening and everything was crazy and I'm locked at home alone and I'm on Zooms and Facebook. FaceTimes and house parties with people. I mean, we were drinking quite a bit mm-hmm. together, but I realized really fast, like, I'm a social drinker, just kind of like you were. I don't drink at home. In fact, like when I moved, my dad was helping me carry everything inside. He was like, my God, Aaron, you have so much booze. And I was like, I know dad, like people come to your house and they bring you like a bottle of wine or whatever, but I don't drink it at home. Like unless somebody comes over. But during like that initial stages of the pandemic, I was like, whoa, you cannot do this, Aaron, and and be at home and be alone. It's just not healthy. And so I cut way, 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 way back. And I mean, I think all of our lives have morphed and pivoted due to the pandemic, but I'm just curious, like when you were going out, would you kind of mimic that you had a cocktail? Meaning like, would you do like a soda water with a lime just so, you know, you kind of felt like you were acclimated with everybody or would you just avoid that altogether? I really liked, and I'm so happy that there's a rise of this stuff of, because Again, it's like one of those debates where people, and I say this too to people, like if this triggers you, don't drink it. But I, for me, Mm -hmm. I drink NA beers and I was fine with it. 
Matthew early on was like, I don't think you should be drinking those. And I was like, no, they're fine. Like, Uh this is me. I'm being able to go out, like have a NA with girlfriends because I still participated in that stuff. And, and now he loves NA beers. Like he tries. (laughs) Really? Okay. So tell me more about them. So, so my only experience with them really, and this is like embarrassing to say, but when I was young and I was in high school, my girlfriend and I grabbed Mm -hmm. one out of her dad's Mm -hmm. refrigerator and cracked that puppy open. And we thought it had alcohol in it. So we were like, I mean, we split like one little beer. We were probably like such waifs back then and probably thought we weren't, you know, know. right. (laughs) So, so we were like, woo. but yeah, tell me more about them because I, I would like to know that too, just if there's a night that I want to go out and maybe I don't want to partake or I have something very important in the morning, like this is a cool alternative. And it is. And that's like, and, and going back to Aaron, like I'm not a person, if people drink, I'm fine with it. it. It's because I can't tell people that they have a problem and nor is it my place to judge. It's just like, but this sure. is me. I had a full, I had, uh, was addicted to it. It was an unhealthy relationship. And this is just it, my story. And, mm-hmm. but I do like that there is a rise, like on mocktails, you're seeing a lot more mocktails when you go out yeah. to restaurants. Well, when we could go out to restaurants, you see those menus, <laughs> but also too, the, there's a rise of NA beers and a lot of breweries are making these more craft ones. You've got to try it. They're like even Heineken. Heineken has one of the best non-alcoholic beers Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to look for it. Yeah. But look up wellbeingbrewery.com. They have, okay. they're on Instagram too. They have this coffee cream stout and it almost reminds, cause I like Guinness. So it almost reminds oh, me mm-hmm. of that. So it's just like in the summertime, man and I will sit down on our porch and, and have an NA and there's nothing wrong, wrong with, with it. That. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. There is a rise on those beers. There's even rise on non-alcoholic like uh, gin, that uh-huh. to me would be a little bit triggering just okay. because I used to, I went through a phase of loving some gin and tonics and yeah. mm-hmm. that I cannot do. But like they have champagne, they have wines and, and champagnes that are alcohol free too. Wow. I did not even know. That's so interesting. But I think that's great too, because I do have friends who are sober and Mm -hmm. I would love to have some of that on hand when we can get to get back together again, because it's a nice alternative versus, you know, what I was thinking was like a sparkling water with a little lime slice or whatever. So that's great. That's great to know. Can you talk about some of the benefits or some of the changes in your health that you noticed? Oftentimes when I think like, oh, so I did a dry November. Mm -hmm. And I did it more so for weight loss purposes Mm -hmm. to see if maybe if I cut the sugar and cut the booze, I I understand that it takes a lot more to process the alcohols in your system or whatever. So what kind of health benefits did you notice? And did you drop some weight just (laughs) through osmosis? (laughs) Well, I did not drop weight because for me, I then switched over to food for a year Mm-hmm. And I gave zero Fs about that because <laughs> of sugar cravings. Because when you quit drinking alcohol, alcohol is sugar. So then it's like you have two addictions that you're fighting. Got it. So, yeah. So I gave myself grace that full year. But I will say, besides that, within a couple months, my sleep was better. Honestly, I did not like my skin cleared up and I don't even, it's not like I had like super bad acne, but my skin was just all dehydrated. People Mm -hmm. started telling me, they're like, what are you doing? You look like, (laughs) 
You're glowing. (laughs) (laughs) And then my my friend Richie and I always used to joke about that, where we're like, Jesus, how bad did we look in our cranky (laughs) days? Because it is like people start commenting on, and everybody who goes through this, they they start commenting on stuff of how much better you look. So just like my Mm. skin started clearing up and just the awareness, I my clarity. Mm-hmm. The clarity that you have and in, in, in going back of how I said it, how I had that mindset of like, I wasn't hurting anybody, but I was, I did not see that until I got sober to realize like, oh, okay. Yeah. I see this now. Definitely that. I used to have a lot of stomach issues mm-hmm. and that is one thing health-wise. I had a terrible stomach issues and that cleared up when I, I quit drinking. Oh, it doesn't happen overnight, but within yeah. time. Yeah, as your body is detoxing and it's kind of getting out of your system and stuff. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And through a process too, when you quit drinking, you you go through, it's called pause. It's post-acute withdrawal syndrome. So you do have that for a couple couple weeks. You might experience a little bit of anxiety. You might shake a little bit. You're very tired because when it goes back to alcohol, it it is poison. Mm -hmm. That is what you're putting into your body. So you have to really... It's a process. Yeah. Courtney, how did you get the strength and the just become so vulnerable to share your story and really put it out there? Sometimes I think people who are going through this keep it really close to chest. They might be embarrassed or have some shame or guilt kind of associated with it. So how did you rise above all of that and go, I'm going to share my story. And not only am I going to share it in my private life, but I'm going to create a platform on Instagram, create a podcast around this to help other people. Well, about 30 to 60 days back in 2012, I just was honest with it on my social media. Just It it was a decision I made just because that was me. Mm -hmm. And to be honest and and to share what I have shared, and I respect everyone's privacy and how they handle it, and, and that's for them. For me, it was part of releasing the shame that I had for so long. And it was in my drinking days that I felt more that I was hiding Mm and that I was trying to be secret, secret, and those secrets will keep you sick and all of that. And so in my sobriety, it was just natural for me to start talking about it and to bring an awareness of what people, because there is, there's a stigma against addiction and alcoholism and, Mm -hmm. and, and addicts and all of that. And it's education and it's awareness and that addiction doesn't discriminate. Right. <laughs> it, does, mm-hmm. it can take anybody. And that's why I'm always happy to see when celebrities talk about it because they have mm-hmm. the largest platform. And it's just yeah, like, sure. so it helps. Yeah, just for me, it was, it was part of my recovery process and it was freedom for me because that helped me release, again, that release that shame and embarrassment of it. It's like, yeah, I did this. Mm-hmm. So what? It doesn't, like, who I am today is what matters. Right. Oh, I think that's beautiful. I I love that. And I mean, I bet you, I I mean, I would just, thinking about things that I've shared about my life, I bet Mm -hmm. you on this platform, like, one of the most rewarding things is somebody reaching out to you and saying, hey, like, through your story, I was able to get help or I was able to come to terms with my own addiction or something going on with my life. And, And that has to be very rewarding because I think one of the things with having a platform, I mean, it takes a lot of responsibility, right? I mean, yes. it comes with a lot of responsibility, yes. I should say, but 
said, but there is also this beautiful thing about connecting with somebody over a shared experience and being able to support each other and help one another. And without your voice, they might not have gotten there. Yeah. I mean, it really is like, that's the type, that's what sometimes, because when you put yourself out there, out there and you're vulnerable and then you get some haters, you're like, uh-huh. why am I doing this someday? <laughs> right. like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Trolls are a real thing. I mean, it's, it's they unreal. Are. Yeah. <laughs> and then again, there's that inner child in me because that's mm-hmm. a work in progress where yeah. it's just like that, like little self-sabotager and like, are you good enough to do this? So my husband gave me a good idea that I, I, I did within the past year where he was like, Every message you get like that, save it. So uh-huh. then that way, when you get that one hater, he was like, and you go, because I'll do this spiral uh, where I'm like, why, why do I keep doing this and putting myself out there for this shitty comment to come back? Mm-hmm. And he was like, you get 10 more positive comments than you get one like negative. negative so the folder yeah. helps if you need that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like- no, I will steal that. I mean, I try to listen to Gary Vee and stuff who says when there's a hater or a troll, it's really about them and less about yes. you. Right. It is hard. And especially when it's something where you're being vulnerable and, and it's your story and it's very personal to you. I mean, I can totally relate with that, but I would say, yes, keep pressing on because yeah. those 10 positive comments and those 10 people that you touched that wouldn't have had the bravery or the courage to step out and, and even reach out to you and say, hey, look, I have a problem or I'm doing this. They need you. They need your voice and they need to hear your story. So yeah, keep at it. Those messages mean more to me than than a lot of people would probably know. Like it just because it's it's you hear women because I mainly deal with women, you hear women who are struggling on a daily basis. And that's why I keep going because it's like alcoholism is here to stay. It mm-hmm. has thrived in 2020 and it's going to continue mm-hmm. to keep thriving. And it's just like, there are people who cannot stop drinking mm-hmm. and it's heartbreaking to hear in some of these messages. And that's where you just have to keep moving forward because somebody's going to need that podcast or that mm-hmm. that post on social media or that blog or that email. Like that's going to help somebody one yeah. day. And you can't give up on people. No, no, mm-hmm. nor on yourself. I mean, I was listening to your um, podcast, the last one you did in 2020 with your sister, and I really like your guys' dynamic together and Thank how you. she's very open and, and was sharing a lot too. But there's beauty in that because I think a lot of times the way society is, some of the things that you're discussing or we're discussing right now, it's kind of taboo to be, however you want to phrase it, I don't want to say like airing your dirty laundry, but like airing these close personal stories. And we're in such an environment where it's like, okay, got to look perfect, like Instagram, got to keep it all perfect, tie and tight. But deep down inside, we're dealing with things. And if we can help each other out, and if we can be there as a support system to one another, I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful thing and, and it can keep, we can keep paying it forward. So, yeah. And my sister and I find, cause I have used this my whole recovery and I don't know if it's just because of how we, <laughs> that's how we process our emotions, but we use humor. I use humor. And if anyone's struggling out there, like you cannot be so serious every day, just use the humor. I mean, my sister and I laugh at ourselves and our stories in that podcast and, 
And that's kind of what we want to just provide. Yeah, I'm the same way, like the self-deprecating humor, like especially for me, like with like being single for so long and just the dating experience. I mean, if you don't find a reason to laugh, like you will go insane. And one thing I love too, you guys were talking about self-care. I can't remember which one of you made the comment, but it was like, at a certain point, you almost have to unplug from it. Oh, yeah. You can't be on it 24-7, just boom, 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 boom. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I needed to hear that because Mm -hmm. I'm always on this journey of being the best version of self. I feel like my listeners are on this journey. Like we're constantly evolving to be a better version of us, which is great. But there's also like needs to be some grace in there where it's like, okay, I can have a day or two to relax. I don't need to be journaling and doing this exercise and listening to this podcast or reading this book all the time. Like I can decompress and just allow myself a moment to breathe. (laughs) That's the whole thing because now it's almost like borderline in this culture where it's like you get shamed for wanting to escape. Like, no, I need to escape in my Mm -hmm. Bravo celebrities. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, girl. Me too. Like I need to not think at night. Like I do have a rule with myself not to turn the TV on until nighttime, but it's just like, it's too much. And then you have social media on top of it. And then it's just like, it's too much. It's like, if you need a day or two, yes, obviously if you're doing that every day for like six months, there's an issue, but like, it's okay for one day a week to take a breath. Take a breath. Yeah. Watch mm-hmm. some Bravo. Catch up on those housewives. <laughs> Amen. I love me some housewives. I love it all. I love it I'm all. like a Bravo. Yeah. Bravo is, is my jam. Courtney, for my listeners who are dating and they are sober, what tips do you have for them? Because I've heard some kind of sad stories and, and I've, I've thought about myself on the other end of this. So I obviously really like it if a man discloses that he's sober in his profile. I just mm-hmm. like that information up front. I don't think I I would like to think it wouldn't sway me, like it wouldn't be a deal breaker whether I swipe right or swipe left. Like I'm very much into getting to know the person for who they are. And if that's part of their journey, then that's part of their journey. But I've heard some stories from my friends, a man who's sober, who he'll get into a text communication with with a woman. They've, They've matched on an app. So obviously there's some sort of mutual connection. They'll start communicating. And then before they go to the in-person meetup, he'll disclose, oh, by the way, I don't drink, but I don't care if you do. And then he kind of encounters getting ghosted or the behavior or tone in which the woman responds becomes different. Do you have any like tips on that or... I did an episode on my first season of the Sober Vibes podcast, and I believe it's episode two or three with my friend Leah, who was single at the time and did this. And she she listed some tips on that, but she always said, which I agreed with her on that, where she came with the attitude of like, I'm going to tell people that I'm sober up front and put that on the profile. And I just feel like the people who get ghosted that's again their issue like the the people who are ghosting the sure, person just yes. because of that or if the if the topic changes i mean then they weren't worth the time yeah <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what i mean yeah. like there's just nothing more you can really go into that other than that person's kind of a dick yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, I, I was just going to say, that's why I think for me and, and my advice to him specifically was, 
I prefer not to get into a very long text communication back and forth. Yeah. I prefer to kind of like graduate it, whether in COVID times, graduate it to a phone call, a FaceTime, a Zoom, whatever, so that you can eventually get that in-person meeting when it's safe or both parties feel comfortable. But I think you run the risk of getting too invested when you don't really know the person. And if that is a deal breaker for them, maybe as long as it's included on your profile so they know up front when they choose to match with you, because then it's like on them 100%. It's similar to uh, a man not disclosing he has children, something like that. And you're like, oh, wait, you didn't think that was important to tell me? (laughs) Right. And like, I'm going to say it, but sober dudes are hot. Like, it's not because my husband is, but I, like, there is something, and I don't know if it's, like, the sick and twisted in me, but there is something about a man who had a problem with alcohol and then quit and has Uh this self-awareness about himself because, ladies, that is who you want. A person who's willing to do the work on themselves Mm. because that's, you got to do it. In sobriety, Mm -hmm. you have to do some work on yourself. So that that would be a catch to me. Someone who's like, I don't drink. Like, okay. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I would put that on. And that's what Leah said, to put it on your dating profile and just to be honest. But mm-hmm. also too, like that is something if it's on there and it does not come up in conversation. And then when you're on that date with a the person, then you can bring it up when you're one-on-one. I, I think the texting sometimes is too much nowadays. I mean, I haven't been in the dating world though in, in 10 years. How long have you been married? 10 years? Well, I've been with him for, in April will be 10 years and then October will be married for six. So Uh I know it's just important to put that on your dating profile, but bring it up in person. If they're not bringing it up in conversation, I want to bring it up via text. Yeah. Because that stuff can also get interpreted. People can interpret it text, especially women. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's why. So, so the man that I've been dating, it's very interesting for a week before we actually ever met up in person, we only exchanged voice notes and video, like short videos, which was really wild. I mean, I've never, and that was all his leading, but I really enjoyed it because I was getting to know him in a different way than yeah. these other men on apps who were just texting on the app or that type of thing at casual, this was like, whoa, I'm seeing him in his environment. I am seeing his mannerisms. I'm seeing his sense of humor because a lot of stuff can be lost in translation. And especially if you don't know somebody, I'm like, oh, is he being sarcastic or is he, is this his personality? Is he cynical? It's, it's hard. Right. And two, going back to that, this goes back to the stigma of sobriety. A lot of people's minds go to to okay so then he's probably an AA he's probably going to mm. start preaching to me he's not mm. going to be any fun and this is all legit what people the a lot of people think this way i'm not just pulling this out of like thin air sure yeah majority of that's what the stigma is and if a man is willing to put himself if he's saying he's sober man or woman and they're willing to put themselves out there on a date a first date Mm-hmm. That person is not boring. That part, like right. that's, you know what I mean. So, <laughs> yeah. and they're not just gonna start smacking Bibles across your face and like just like yeah. getting into like <laughs> preaching the good word to you. Like you got to give people a chance. Sure. You never know. Oh, I absolutely believe that. I I agree a hundred percent. And last question on the dating. And I'm guessing you're going to say that 
it really depends on the people. But do you think a healthy relationship can exist with somebody who's sober and somebody who has not given up alcohol? Oh, yeah. I've seen it. I've witnessed uh-huh. it. I've seen it with, with sober friends who've dated mm-hmm. people who, who drank and they've been nothing but supportive. And it's just one of those things, though, that you do. My friend, she's got a boyfriend who drinks and he's very supportive of her. He just doesn't. I mean, if he's gotten drunk, it's not been around her. You just Mm -hmm. have to set up those boundaries with people. I've told my husband from a past couple of years, I'm like, if you ever want to go back to drinking, feel free. I just don't want it in the house. That's it. Okay. That's like my boundary. And that's such good communication and use of really saying what your needs are. Your yeah, I, I love that. That's so great. This is good. Right. This is good therapy too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I mean, sure people are taking notes at home. That's great. That's awesome. I, I hope so. But yeah, you just have to with with yes, 100% people can succeed in relationships when there's alcohol involved. And again, I'm not here to judge or tell people you got to do this, this, and this. I'm just like this is my experience. And just mm-hmm. want to bring more awareness that around the addiction, sobriety, recovery awareness. Because it needs to yeah. happen. And there is life after alcohol. Like people, oh. I mean, yeah, it, it's funny. I, I'm such an upbeat, like extroverted person. Like mm-hmm. it, I am a social butterfly. I can definitely go and have, still have a great time without the alcohol. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I think that's like a misconception. And and mm-hmm. people might hang on to it a little bit as a clutch. Like you were saying with, it gave you this ability to kind of like be this vibrant self. But I'm sure you're just as vibrant, if not more, without it now. You've just come into your own. You you have confidence. And that's the truth. I have it too on my website there. Like I have my statement is there's fun to be had uh-huh. a life without alcohol. And like you just, your life doesn't stop because you quit drinking. And people have to understand that that drinking is fun. That is, it's almost a limiting belief in that in the, you you have to change your mindset around. Like I have honestly had more fun there was fun in my drinking days and I will never negate that or neg- that mm-hmm. because I honor everything I did and I did have some good experiences drinking, but <laughs> 90% of the time it did not end well for me. And I'm just a person who should not drink alcohol, but I have had more fun present day of just like fun to me now is waking up on a Sunday, not hungover because yeah. I lived in that space for so long. So or like long. Mm-hmm. going to a new restaurant and experience somebody new or traveling somewhere new and like being able to remember it. So yeah, that's like, oh. that's fun for me. I'm just being present. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So if somebody is struggling right now with alcohol or addiction and they want to seek help, what do you advise that they do if they need some support? Well, definitely you got to reach out to somebody. You got to reach out to somebody. There are tons of free resources out there. If if 12 step is where you want to go, find a local meeting. A lot of meetings now are on online just because of COVID times. And again, it depends on each state because every state's different now. So you can start by just using the interweb and just (laughs) like how to quit drinking or Mm -hmm. support groups and or following people on on Instagram. There's a huge community on there of people who provide help. So just really kind of of reaching out and finding support in in that way. Telling a friend, just telling Mm -hmm. a friend like, hey, I think I'm going to try to stop drinking for a couple days. Like don't 
put yourself where you're like, I'm going to go a year without alcohol because that's scary. And that's a big leap. But Mm -hmm. just letting a friend know, like, I'm just going to give up alcohol for a couple days. I'm going to try seven days and go from there. See how you feel Mm -hmm. after seven days. Yeah. So I love that. Well, I just appreciate you just being so honest and so open and sharing your story and these helpful tips and everything. If my listeners want to follow you, want to continue to watch you in your journey and maybe reach out to you or whatnot, how do they do that? I'm very active on Instagram. You can find me, Courtney Anderson or Sober Vibes. I have my podcast, Sober Vibes, and that's V-I-B-E-S that you can find on iTunes or Spotify, my website, CourtneyRecovered.com. I have tons of resources. I have a free 30-day sober, not boring calendar. So it's 30 days of activities you can do without drinking. And I made this because in my 30 days of sobriety, I had Google hobbies because I did not. Yeah, you had to find ways to fill your time probably. Yes, and this this is a lot of people's struggle because they don't know what to do without alcohol. So my, this like mm-hmm. resource is just for you to to just look at something with a yeah. different set mm-hmm. of eyes. So I have a couple workshops on there too, but and then I have meetings I do at the first three Saturdays of each month. Mm-hmm. I do women's only meetings. So I really oh. protect that space just with women and it's free. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. And that's right on your website. Yep, that's right on my website and it's a Zoom meeting and it's it's just a nice way to connect with women. It's not any type of 12-step base, but it's about connecting and supporting each other mm-hmm. and, and creating that space. So. Oh, I love that. That's great. Well, I will make sure that I link all those things in the episode notes for people. But Courtney, thank you so much. I mean, this has been so much fun. And I just, I'm so glad we connected. I look forward to continuing to watch your journey. And I just think what you're doing is is amazing. You are so courageous and brave. I love it. Thank you, Erin. Thank you. I had fun. Thank you so much for tuning in to your Such a Catch. Courtney has several free resources on her website and linked in her social media if this episode hit a little close to home. Everything is linked in the episode notes. Until next week, keep striving for greatness. The world is your oyster. Oh.